Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. The month of March is National Kidney Awareness Month, something near and dear to me. Of the more than 106,000 individuals waiting for an organ transplant, nearly 90,000 of them are in need of a kidney transplant. The need is so great and those on the list will probably wait years and years to receive the call that a deceased donor kidney is available for transplant. That is why living kidney donation is such an important option and save lives that otherwise may be in jeopardy. Hi, you're listening to episode 96 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colleen Gerber, kidney recipient and LifeBank staff member. Welcome to a very special episode of Let's Talk About Life. For those waiting for a kidney transplant, living donation is sometimes a better option. Many times, a person in need of a kidney has identified someone willing to donate, but they do not match. This situation happens often, and so programs like the voucher or parrot exchange programs have been started to help solve this huge issue. We are fortunate to have three guests who are personally familiar with living donation and will share their experience. Colleen Ryan, a recent living kidney donor who ultimately gave the gift of life to a stranger so that her uncle will be able to receive a kidney transplant through the voucher program. Exactly what is the voucher program? Our second guest, Michael Lalo, is the president of the National Kidney Donor Organization, also a living kidney donor. Mike will explain what his organization does and also explain the National Kidney Register and the voucher program. We are also fortunate to be joined by Dr. Kenneth Chavin, the director of the Transplant Institute at University Hospitals to discuss the living donor process, the surgery, and long-term outcomes for living donors. Let's begin with Colleen Ryan. Colleen is a wife, a mom, and the director, as well as a fitness instructor at the Wembley Club. She knew about deceased donation from experience, but when she learned her uncle needed a kidney transplant and inspired by a friend, her thoughts turned to being a living donor. Colleen, thank you so much for being with us and being so willing to share your story and your experience. Hi, Colleen. This is such an honor to be on here and talk about my experience to hopefully open up the eyes of others about living kidney donation. You know, living kidney donors are near and dear to my heart. My sister was my first kidney donor way back in 1985, and it's something that you just never forget. Colleen, how did you feel when you found out that your uncle needed a kidney transplant? And tell us a little bit about him. My uncle started on dialysis coming up on two and a half years. 
And all along, I knew that it was an option for him to be lifted for a kidney transplant. And I always thought that the only option was really deceased kidneys for the transplant. Until last year in February, um, one of my really close friends, Krista, and one of my coworkers posted about her living kidney donation. And it just sparked my mind for me to think a little bit more about my uncle. So I called him to tell him that I wanted to donate to him. And his initial reaction was, no, I I could never ask you to do that. And here's me saying, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you that I'm going to donate my kidney to you because I'm going to donate it to anybody. So it might as well be you. So that's kind of how the story started. Really, my eyes were not open to living kidney donation two years ago. I did know about deceased organ donation through one of my very close and dear friends of the family, the Risingers, whose daughter and granddaughter, um, through an unfortunate accident, were able to save the lives of many people through their deceased organ donation. So I was aware of organ donation, but definitely not living organ donation until a year ago, honestly. The Risingers are good friends of LifeBank, and they have a team every year, Angels Beside Us. And we honor Jess and Lilia and uh, their amazing family. So you're actually not only familiar with donation, you're familiar with LifeBank specifically. So that's awesome. Yes. I believe it was last year that I ran 8.50 miles in honor of organ and tissue donation, not knowing that I would be in this position now come 2022. That's amazing. You also have a connection to a transplant recipient family. Can you share about your friends, Jan and Shelly Arts? Jan and I have been friends for several years. And back about nine, 10 years ago, we had been talking about Shelly receiving a heart transplant. Not one, but as she has said in her podcast. And it was so inspiring to me and just hear how somebody's life could be changed by somebody saying yes to organ donation. And she was just always so grateful for that gift that somebody gave Shelly to have so many more years together. And it's always held a special place in my heart And now I think it's come full circle to me why her story meant so much to me back then because I didn't know that this is where I'd be now. So they do hold a special place in my heart. They hold a special place in our heart at LifeBank too. So how did you get started with the living donation process? What was that like? I did my living donation through university hospitals and I just contacted through the living donation line and you do just an initial questionnaire to see if you are even a candidate to be a living donor. So I passed through that initial screening and then I went into the hospital to get some 
blood work done and just some other tests done. And from there, I moved on to the next step. So it's a little bit of a process, but you also learn a lot through that process. And it's a full check on your whole body to make sure that you're in good health. When you found out that you weren't a match for your uncle, because that was the end result, what happened next? All along, I had been thinking that I was going to be my uncle's donor. I am a universal donor. So I found out that our cross match was not a good match for the two of us. So honestly, my initial thought when I talked with Peggy, my coordinator, was, well, what's the next step? But I did need to hang up the phone and talk to my husband first. Because I didn't want to go on without, you know, talking with him and my family. But the next step was for me to donate to somebody else needing a kidney through the National Kidney Registry. And then that would provide my uncle with a voucher for a better match for a living kidney. So that was the next step, basically, that we did. I had to send over blood work to be in the National Kidney Registry. And then they just worked their magic to find somebody that would match up with my kidney. And then they'll do the same for my uncle. We're now going to turn to Michael Lalo, president of the National Kidney Donor Organization. Mike happens to also be a living kidney donor himself. And he gave a precious gift to a stranger back in 2018. Mike, thank you for helping us learn about living donation, uh, the NKDO, and of course, the voucher program. Thank you so much for having me on today. And just having these shows out there is helping, you know, living organ donation because they're just creating awareness. So I just want to start off by thanking you and, and, and everybody there for putting this on because it's a, it's, it's a really big deal. It's always our pleasure and our mission, you know, we, we're here to save and heal lives and through organ donation, and it doesn't matter if it's living or deceased, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I um, donated my kidney to a stranger back in 2018. At the time, I didn't know anything about kidney donation, didn't know anybody that was a donor or needed a kidney or was on dialysis. Started off with trying to help a police officer that was in need of a kidney. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to donate to him. And then uh, later on that same year, I saw a uh, New York Post article about a gentleman named Mark Weiner who uh, had a billboard donated to him in Times Square. So it was just interesting that you know, in my 40-some-odd years of living, I've never heard or thought of kidney donation. And within a few months, you know, I saw two instances where someone needed help. And I basically just started looking into the process. I ended up not being a match for Mark. Uh, but learned that, you know, you could just give your kidney away. And I, I was like, wow. And when I did the research, I just saw like a risk first reward. And, and the risk to myself, I just felt from everything that I learned was so low compared to how you can actually impact and change somebody's life. So that kind of got me into the, the kidney world, if you will. As we stated, you're the president of the National Kidney Donor Organization. Why did you feel that there was a need to create the NKDO? Well, I cannot take credit for creating the NKDO. My, my mentor, Ned Brooke, founded an organization called Donor to Donor originally. And the concept was basically uh, no one knows what a donor goes through except a donor. 
And, uh, you know, all the medical professionals are phenomenal, very, you know, smart, caring people. But the majority of them, they're not living donors. So Ned created this organization where people who were thinking about becoming a living kidney donor, they could be paired with someone like him, someone like me, you know, who's gone through the process. And then we just knew that this was a concept that could be larger and bigger. And when I retired from the police department, Ned called me up one day and said, hey, I think we want to take, you know, NKDO to a higher level. You know, would you come on as president? And I said, absolutely. And one of the first things that we tackled was his mentoring program. And what we think is one of the keys to success is helping people through the process, understand the process. And as you know, it's quite a complicated process depending on what transplant center you're potentially going to be donating at, where you live. And we're kind of there to guide people through the process, hopefully, and ultimately to donation. And I think that is a huge gap in that area. And the NKDO fills that so nicely. What would you say to somebody who is considering living kidney donation? First is to go to our website so they can get paired up with somebody like myself or Ned, or we have, uh, I think right now we have about 50 donor mentors, we call them. So we have plenty of people ready to uh, accommodate as many people who want to inquire. And we do this program in conjunction with the National Kidney Registry. We mentor all the people that come through both of their uh, main websites. And we also now are at 12 hospitals offering this program through the National Kidney Registry. We can give the program to the hospitals for free. So first I would say, do your research. Definitely go online. That's what I did. I just started looking at websites to see the statistics on how people live after with one kidney. And it's so small, the effect that it really has on your life physically, uh, if at all. But spiritually or mentally, it's extremely rewarding knowing that you can help someone now while you're alive. Obviously, NKDO is a full support of people signing up to be organ donors, you know, on their driver's license or, you know, with Donate Life, organizations like Live On New York. But when that happens, unfortunately, you, you've passed on and, and you can't experience the change and the joy that you bring to people. Uh, but being a living kidney donor, you potentially, if you're able to uh, meet your recipient or if you know your recipient, you could see those effects now while you're here. Yeah, it truly is um, life-changing, not only for the recipient, but for yourself. You know, there's this statistic out there, which some people like to chuckle at, but living kidney donors, they actually live a little bit longer than the average population, right? So you'd say, well, how, how can that be? You know, they got an organ taken out of, uh, of their body. But, you know, you go through as a living donor the most expensive medical testing that you could ever want or, you know, ever need in your lifetime. So you're not going to be able to be a living kidney donor unless you are absolutely healthy. The reality is the transplant centers almost try to find something wrong with you, you know, so you are not able to donate, right? Because they don't want anyone who has or, or could have any medical issues to donate their kidney. You're going in there perfectly healthy, and I'm leaving with one less organ, but they want me to leave just as healthy and also have a healthy life later on. So I, the transplant centers do a phenomenal job with the screening, in my opinion. You're absolutely right. They do. It, we joke. It's <laughs> the best physical you will ever receive. And it's free. It's free. No <laughs> absolutely. Charge. And that's a great point. Living donation is free to the living donor. The recipient's insurance company picks up the cost of all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, you know, there's an organization out there like the National Kidney Registry, which offers something called Donor Shield, 
people say, oh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to be out of work. You know, that's a legitimate reason why you wouldn't be able to donate your kidney because you can't be out of work for three weeks, you know, while you're recovering. But organizations, like I said, such as NKR, has, you know, wage reimbursement, uh, you know, travel uh, reimbursement, uh, things such as that. They also have the voucher program, which I know you, you know, you mentioned earlier that we want to talk about. They have two voucher programs, which are phenomenal. So one of the questions I got asked was, you know, Michael, you're married and you have three children. What if something happens to one of them? You know, wouldn't you want to save your kidney for like one of your kids? And I was like, wow, you know, I, I didn't think about that until the person, you know, brought that to my attention. But it's a legitimate concern. And the National Kidney Registry has one program called the Family Voucher Program. And what that means is I could donate my kidney to a stranger, just like I did. But it gives me a little bit of peace of mind because I can name five voucher holders. My three kids, my wife, and uh, the next relative, I guess, that I want to give a, a voucher to. So if any one of them was to have an issue and needed a kidney at any point in their lifetime, because the voucher is good forever, they could basically be prioritized within the National Kidney Registry, move to the top of the list, if you will. They don't have to find a donor at that time because they have that voucher. Now, you only get one of those vouchers could be redeemed because you put one kidney in the pool, you get one out, but the likelihood that any of them are going to need a kidney anyway is probably slim. But the other program, which to me is a game changer, is the uh, standard voucher program. And basically what that is, to similar in a sense with the family voucher, I donate to a stranger on behalf of this person. You know, we'll call my friend Jane Doe. So Jane Doe needs a kidney. I want to donate to her, but I'm not a direct match. I could still help her. In order for Jane Doe to get access to all those other donors in the National Kitty Registry, she needs a partner. And in this scenario, I would be her partner. So I'd be putting a kidney into the pool, and then Jane gets named as a voucher holder. And if she's eligible today, the day that I donate, to get a kidney, they activate her voucher immediately. And the next question, someone is probably listening, asking, well, how long does it take for Jane you know, to get a kidney? And that is a difficult question to answer because it depends on if she's highly sensitized, uh, you know, her blood type. But uh, let's go under the assumption that she's got a, a blood type that's not uh, very rare and she's not highly sensitized. Currently, it's about 60 days, 65 days from the time that her voucher gets activated till she gets a kidney. And this could be someone that's been on dialysis for years. And I donate today and then within 60 days, you know, she gets a kidney. It's, it's just remarkable. That is remarkable. And considering that there are people that are on the deceased donor waiting list for years, sometimes seven, eight, nine I know. longer years. And I, know. I mean, dialysis is a wonderful thing, but it's not a wonderful lifestyle. That's for sure. No, it's not a cure. And you know, you, you touch on something about the deceased donor list. The, the great thing about this voucher program is Jane doesn't just receive the benefits, right? Neither does just the person that ended up getting my kidney. That moves people up on the deceased donor list. And then once Jane redeems the voucher and she comes off that list, that moves people up on the deceased donor list as well. So it's, it has a, a bunch of ripple effects. It's actually helping the people on the deceased donor list. Yeah, there's one less name added, right? Colleen, you made it through the evaluation process and UH determined that you were healthy enough to be a living donor. But when did they schedule the surgery to recover your kidney and share a little bit about that experience and how you're doing now? My 
kidney mastectomy, the surgery was on December 22nd. Um, I found out November 24th that we were a match and then it was scheduled for approximately a month later. So December 22nd. So I went in that morning, had the surgery and the next day I was home by four o'clock. It was, it was pretty amazing. Mentally, I was pushing through because they wanted to be home for the holidays with my family. But honestly, I think it was the perfect amount of time to be in the hospital and then come home and recover. So I felt really great all along. Sometimes on days where I would not feel my best, it was just a humbling reminder to myself how my uncle, how all people who are in need of an organ transplant, how they feel on a daily basis. Really, these nine weeks have been the smallest blip in my life. And to be able to change somebody else's life was just so amazing to me that I could give something so small and make such a big difference to somebody. And not just to one person. Now, it's, you know, the person who I donated to and then my uncle. So it's just, it's so neat. And I feel, really, I feel great. I'm so glad everything went well and you're recovering nicely. You'll be able to enjoy spring and summer. That's so exciting. That's great. I would like to ask our partner at this point from University Hospitals to join the conversation. Dr. Kenneth Chavin is the director of the Transplant Institute at University Hospitals and specializes in laparoscopic donor nephrectomy, laparoscopic surgery, liver disease, renal disease, and transplant surgery, among several other areas. Dr. Chavin is also a professor at the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. Dr. Chavin, thank you for taking time to be with us. Colleen, it's a great pleasure to be here for an important topic. Can you explain a little bit about your role at the Transplant Institute at UH and your interaction with kidney patients? I am the director of the Transplant Institute. We've been in existence for over 50 years, and I oversee with my administrative director all the administrative components of all solid organ transplant here at University Hospitals, including uh, liver, kidney, pancreas, heart, lung, and uh, pediatric kidneys. And then I also am a clinically active abdominal transplant surgeon. So as with your introduction, I perform liver and kidney and pancreas transplants and have the privilege and historic honor of having been trained by the developer of laparoscopic donor nephrectomy, Lloyd Ratner and Luke Cavusi. So I've been doing that for onwards of 20 plus years now. And so very familiar with the donation process and all. And so that's kind of my dual roles here. Laparoscopic surgery, and especially for nephrectomy, really changed the face of living kidney donation. Absolutely. I've had the privilege of having been a surgical resident when lap coles had just started, and it was a senior resident or chief case. And actually, when I finished general surgery, knowing I was going into transplant, I thought I wasn't really going to have to be doing laparoscopic surgery much. But fortunately, it started in the early 90s. Instead of what historically had been a large incision from 
almost the back of your shoulder blade with potentially a rib being removed all the way almost to your belly button to remove the kidney safely with open procedures. We've gradually gotten smaller and smaller in all the operations we do in surgery and particularly lap donor nephrectomy was developed because the equipment was safe enough to actually have the same, if not a better outcome for the donor because they don't have the same level of hernia formation. They don't lose a rib. They do that precious donation of a kidney. And at the same time, we can take it out through the bikini line incision for women having C-sections. So it's really evolved. I remember the first presentation at our national meeting where it was presented by Dr. Ratner. End of the program after four days, but the audience was packed as and that revolutionized donation. Donation rates went up. People's willingness, because you are in the hospital about two days, you're feeling pretty good. I, I've had people return to work as quickly as two weeks, but it depends on how they feel and all. But usually most are pretty much normal by six weeks, as opposed to the more debilitating open operation. So people's willingness to donate increases because it's not such a scary operation anymore, because everyone knows someone who's had their gallbladder out laparoscopically. And so it turns out that it encouraged people to donate more. The quality of the kidneys is excellent, and we're able to help more people, both by someone getting a living donor kidney, and then that makes another deceased donor kidney available for someone else who doesn't have a living donor. So it's a wonderful win-win-win. It is. What's the advantages of a living donor kidney versus a deceased donor kidney? The advantages are multiple. First and foremost, very often people are told they have end-stage renal disease, stage four. They're not quite on dialysis. So instead of the debilitating three times a week or peritoneal dialysis or home hemo, they actually can get worked up in time. So once their renal function has declined to a certain point and they've spoken up and got someone to come forward and then we've done all our part of medically clearing them, then it's an elective operation with a kidney that's coming from someone that has been screened extensively and is basically perfectly healthy because we won't take someone's kidney if it will compromise or they have underlying diseases that will compromise their renal function in the future as the donor it is. So as I described to patients in education, because everyone knows cars, whether it's a Cadillac, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, it's, that's the quality of that kind of kidney. And then it's an elective operation. It almost always works right immediately. As, as soon as you take the clamps off, the kidney starts to make urine. And that person is feeling better that evening, even from their uremia. And it's just a wonderful win-win-win. Yeah. And deceased donor organs almost go through a trauma. They're recovered and then they have to be preserved for the transport. Um, even though they may be out of body only a few hours, eight hours. It is a bit of a trauma on the organ, isn't it? Organs are not meant to not have blood in them. So the longer organs are out, even though we have wonderful preservation solutions to protect those organs so they will function, and that's part of the daily miracle of transplant from either a living or deceased donor, uh, the longer the organ is without blood, more possible detrimental things are happening to those cells. So as you put it, uh, it's suffering trauma ongoing until... It has blood back in it. Dr. Traven, can you talk about what the impact is on the lives of living donors five, 10 years down the road? Uh, that's a great question, Colleen. 
Ideally, the impact is truly nothing. The reason we do living donation and we do it with thoughtful consideration and all of us take the Hippocratic Oath and it's do no harm, yet living donation flies in the face of that a little because you actually are taking a body part out and it requires an operation. So we try to minimize that at all. So part of the screening process and everything else is we're only taking healthy organs that are paired, and that's the beauty of kidneys that you get two of them in most people. And the short-term effect is really nothing, but the intermediate and long-term, the chances of needing a kidney for the general population is around 1.7%. From VA studies of our armed forces who have lost kidneys and all, their chances after losing a kidney from something like that is still 1.7% because they're healthy people. So the chances of someone who donates a kidney are very, very low that they will need a kidney. We do have a safety net in the transplant community recognizing that they donated a kidney. So the worst case, should that happen because they have a trauma, they lose the other kidney, something happens, they get prioritized on the wait list immediately because they've donated a kidney. That's the worst case. Now let's talk about the norm, though, which is someone who donates five, ten years, they can have children, they go about normal activity, they live out a normal life and... Uh, everything else. The first successful living donor was uh, done at the Brigham and Women's Hospital on December 23rd um, in the mid-50s. The brother, the donor, passed 57 years later. So it shows you live out a full normal life. So that's the expectation when someone has been screened as a donor that they will go on. A small percentage may have a incisional hernia or something else, but those are the exceptions. But we kind of take care of them for their life because, you know, they did this unbelievable, unselfish act, which is the donation of a kidney. And in Colleen's case, she donated for her uncle. She didn't match and somebody else got a kidney and she changed their life. And her uncle will receive a kidney in the voucher program. That is revolutionary as well. The voucher program, which is part of the NKR is that people don't have to wait for their recipient to be ready. If they want to donate now and they want to go through the process, they can create a voucher by donating in the system that they then have given to the recipient. So part of the paired exchange that where kidneys fly all over the country, world records are the number in a chain of donating one to the next to the next, because not everyone's compatible with everyone is that you can actually start one of those chains and then down the road when you're a recipient that you want to get the kidney, they will get a comparable kidney from someone donating who wasn't compatible with someone they wanted to help. And it's uh, held in time. It's like having a plane ticket for the future, if I may simplify this. Uh, When that person is ready to get on that plane, you have your voucher to get on the plane. But in this case, when that person is ready and medically suitable to get a kidney and we find a match, that's when the person is designated to get that kidney. I hope that simplifies it. That's an amazing analogy. I I probably will steal that. (laughs) Excellent. I I will add one thing, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Colleen, for this, because I know you're a two-time recipient of kidney transplant. To the question you were asking me before about the quality of life and everything else for the donors, you're the living testament that your sister, I think, donated, and you just both celebrated her 70th birthday decades later. And so 
that's the close to home story we should share with your public. Oh, thank you. Yeah. She donated a kidney to me. Her life has been pretty minimally impacted by the donation of the kidney for 36 years. I mean, it's an amazing thing. I actually would say her life is enriched because you're here because of her donation. So not only do they impact someone else's life, their life, because if they have someone they love and want to do this and it's safe to do it, they have the privilege and uh, pleasure of being with that person as well. I love that. What would your advice be to somebody who's considering living donation? Thank you, first off. Second, call one of our numbers to one of the transplant centers. Don't rule yourself out. Don't play Dr. Google. Let us do that. We do this very much with thoughtful consideration to protect you, the potential donor, from something you may not know about or that may impact you later. We turn down people who are healthy now, but they have a very strong family history of something. I mean, it's a case-by-case thing, but what I would say is speak up, come forth. If you're thinking about it, you can impact someone you don't even know, being an altruistic donor or someone you've heard of that is suffering from renal failure. You can donate now, and should they need a kidney later, use the voucher program. I guess my Take-home advice is, if you're interested, please contact a transplant center near you or the Life Bank because they will put you in touch with the transplant centers here in Northeast Ohio, and then we'll do our process. And should you be um, suitable to donate, you we're more than willing to help someone else with your wonderful, generous gift. But we also will protect you because our job is to make sure that by doing this, you're going to live that long life like um, your sister has, Colleen. Part of LifeBank's mission is not only working with donor families and recovering those precious gifts of life. We are responsible for educating the public about being a registered organ, eye, and tissue donor. And obviously, many, many transplants have been done and successfully through deceased donation. What are your thoughts about organ donors and their families? First, this last year was the most number of transplants performed in the United States ever. So despite the pandemic and everything, people have been willing to sign their donor card, people stepping forward as living donors, and going through all this to help their fellow human being. I think uh, LifeBank is essential in this. It has been a privilege in my five years of being here in Northeast Ohio, working with your organization to help educate the public, because none of us know when that horrible event is going to happen. But having spoke to our loved ones, signing up with the donor registry, doing it when we get our driver's license, it says, I care about my fellow person. And God forbid an event happens that I'm no longer alive, I can help other people live longer. And your legacy lives on forward. And you guys, with your mission, raising education, awareness, and everything else are doing it. Hats off to you. You guys are a wonderful organization to work with. Dr. Chavin, I couldn't be more pleased talking with you. Thank you so much. And we appreciate your contribution. I mean, it talks about things I know, love, and uh, I come to work every day to do. So thanks, Colleen. And finally, we're going to go back to Colleen Ryan to wrap up this episode. Colleen, we know your uncle will be receiving a transplant in the near future, but I'm wondering about the person who received your kidney. Do you know anything about them? 
I do. Everything is all anonymous when you are going through the National Kidney Registry. But I still knew it was the right thing to do because I didn't need to know the person. I needed to know that I was helping somebody to live. And so I sent a letter and I said, if you ever want to reach out to me, here's my information. I would love to hear from you. If nothing else, just to know that you're doing well. And I sent it to Peggy Schuster at UH who sent it to Cornell, which was the only thing I knew about my donation that it was happening at Cornell in New York. And they sent it to my recipient. So on February 14th, which happens to also be National Donor Day, my uncle got the call that he was activated through the National Kidney Registry. He finished everything. And then I opened my mailbox and I had a letter from my recipient. And since then, her and I have gone back and forth with our stories. She is doing so well. And it's been so wonderful. She's in New York. And the funny thing about her story is, you know, people tried to donate to her and and nobody was a match. And so a friend of hers, who she had never met this person, was the person who did the advanced donation for her. So people really want to make a difference without even knowing the person. That's amazing. And I love that both things, both significant things happened on National Donor Day. Isn't that amazing? I know. It is. It's so cool. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we could do this. Thank you for having me. Thank you to my three very special guests for sharing your experience, knowledge, and skills, and desire to help individuals who are waiting for a transplant. We hope you found today's episode informative and inspirational. You know, you can save lives simply by going to lifebanc.org and registering your donation decision. You can catch Let's Talk About Life on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, but you can always find it at lifebank.org. We thank you for listening and we hope you come back next time. And come on, let's talk about life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at lifebank.org. Take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is depending on it.